In just a few minutes, Sister Bev will be with us and she'll be finishing up the book of Isaiah. But fear not, she wants to come back and do the book of Ezekiel also. So I just warn you in advance that she's going to be getting ready for Ezekiel. And she just loves it. These are two of the books that she teaches in the Bible school and she just loves to present them to you. But she says she has the same trouble I have, not preaching your way through passages. Our New Testament passage today picks up with Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Finally, my brothers, all right, so Paul says, I'm, I'm winding down. So he says, finally. Now, Paul's finally is kind of like my finally, all right? One last point, and then I go for another 20 minutes, all right? So Paul's finally is in true preacher's presentation. And then he goes on again forever. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. We don't rejoice in our troubles or our, our pain, but we do rejoice in the Lord. And he says, to write to you the same things is no trouble and is safe for you. All right, now, Paul says repetition. Paul says to repeat teaching. Number one is no trouble to me, and number two is safe for you. Sometimes we need to go over the old truths. It provides safety. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the real circumcision. Ah, this is Paul's attitude. Paul's attitude toward the Judaizers. These are the people who spent a lifetime going after Paul. Every place Paul went, they came along and said, no, you're not saved until you get circumcised. No, you're not saved until you become a proselyte Jew. <laughs> Paul said, uh, these are dogs. These are evildoers. These are the mutilators of the flesh. <laughs> so please, Paul didn't sound like a sweet little, oh, we just want to have an understanding heart with them. No, Paul cared about the people, and Paul would call a spade a spade. He was a very plain-spoken person, this Apostle Paul. He said, For we are the real circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God, and who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. All right, now, this is the real circumcision. All right, who is the real circumcision? The people that really have, and remember, circumcision was a sign of a covenant with God. Who are the people who have a real covenant with God? Number one, they worship by the Spirit. Number two, they glory in Christ Jesus, not in Moses. And number three, they put no confidence in the flesh. Okay. He said, though, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, under the law, blameless. Now notice this. He said, in the flesh, he says, number one, I'm circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. Number three, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Number four, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Now he says, as to the law, he said, I'm a Pharisee. He said, as to zeal, I was a persecutor. He said, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. He said, you know what? I can match my religious credentials with any of them. But he said, but whatever I had, I counted as loss for Christ Jesus. I love Paul. 
I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them at rubbish that I might gain Christ. Oh, listen to this heart. Oh, Paul said, you know, everything I had. Now, Paul, you got to understand, Paul was a big shot. He was in the Sanhedrin court as a young man. No doubt came from a very wealthy family. He lost everything. He said, I count it all as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus as my Lord. He said, and I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. He said, my family name, my family heritage, my inheritance. He said, all the positions I had in life, my positions of power and prestige. He said, I count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Oh, beloved. Please, listen, listen to this, this man's heart. Young people, it doesn't matter what this world thinks of you. You know, a person came to me and said, Pastor Summerall, I really want to be a Christian and I really want to serve the Lord, but, you know, my career, Pastor, and, and in my career, there are things I have to do that Christians shouldn't do and I can't give up my career. I brought them to this passage. I said, you're going to have to count all things as rubbish in order to gain Christ. Folks, Jesus gave everything for you. Jesus gave everything for you. And he looks at you and he says, I expect you to give up everything for me. Wow. <laughs> Fair trade. Jesus said, I gave up everything for you. I expect you to give up everything for me. And Paul considered that an honor. He said, and be found in him. Okay, so here's the in Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. Ah, now here's truths of righteousness. When I put a big R in the circle, that's righteousness in all of my notes. Righteousness comes from God and depends on faith. <laughs> I love every time Paul opens his mouth, he's preaching salvation by faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. <laughs> beautiful truth. Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, share in his sufferings, becoming like him. Paul's four ambitions. Oh, what a man of God. What a man of God. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. I forgot to put it up there again. You know me. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection. Paul lived for this.
Paul lived with this goal, that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Do you live every day looking forward to the rapture? Do you live every day looking forward to the resurrection, where you will spend the rest of eternity ruling and reigning with Jesus? Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. He said, ah, that hasn't happened yet. He said, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ has made me his own. All right, so the motivation to live holy, because Christ has made me his own. He said, now, I'm not perfect yet, but I press on to make it my own. I press on to, to be righteous in his sight. Why? Because Christ made me his own. That should be enough motivation for you to do anything in the universe. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. All right? This is how you do it. He said, this is the motivation to live a holy life, and this is the methodology. You forget what lies behind. If you're going to keep living in your mistakes, <laughs> you're going to keep failing. So you forget what's behind and you strain toward what's ahead and you press toward the goal. Halimbawa. When I was a young boy, I worked in a, I think I was about 12 or 13 years old, maybe 12. I was working in a Baskin Robbins ice cream parlor. Big surprise. But I will tell you that after working there for a year, I didn't like ice cream. I didn't eat ice cream for several years because I was always sampling. Now, the owner of this Baskin and Robbins store, she was a really, really nice lady and gave me a chance even though I was just 12 years old. But her mother, she would stand over the top of you and stare at every single thing you did as you weighed out the ball of ice cream on the weigh scale, as you made change. She'd just stand over you the whole time, and she'd make you scared to pieces. And the more she stared at you, the more mistakes you'd make. And then she'd keep reminding you of the mistakes you'd make, and then you'd make more mistakes. And I had to learn a lesson. You can't fix the past. Think of the times that you've made a mistake and you keep thinking about the mistake you made. You just keep making more mistakes, Diva. You have to learn to leave the past behind. You, you, you can't unscramble scrambled eggs. You can't change the past that you've had. But you can forget what lies behind, strain toward what lies ahead, press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. That's the methodology of living a holy life. Let those of us who are mature think this way. That's how a mature person thinks. They forget the past and they move toward the future. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. He said, all right, hey, if you don't agree with me, well, God will teach you that I'm right. <laughs> Can you imagine a pastor saying that today? But that's basically what Paul is saying. He said, if you think differently than this, well, you know what? You're wrong. I'm right. God's going to teach that to you. <laughs> He said, only let us hold true to what we've already attained. All right, hold on. Hold on to what you've already attained. Don't go backwards. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have seen in us. Now, for some of you, you, you look at that and you go, man, that's very egotistical. But what other example can Paul put in front of them? 
When I would look at you and say, follow me as I follow Christ, it's not because I think I'm all perfect or something, but what other example am I supposed to point you to? A shepherd and the sheep that follow the shepherd have a relationship together. So, of course, Paul would say, join in imitating me. He said, you know, join in this. Others are following my example. Now you join in following their example. Join in imitating me. And he said, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have seen in us. He said, you know, keep your eyes on me. Follow me. I'm the shepherd. You're the sheep. But he said, also, follow the other sheep that are following me. Ah, okay. So we not only follow the leader, we also follow those who follow the leader. Now, before you think that's weird, think of a flock of sheep. A lot of those sheep can't see the shepherd, but they can see the other sheep. And as those sheep follow the shepherd, the sheep who can't see the shepherd keep following the sheep. This is all Paul is saying. For many of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Wow. He said, I've often had to tell you this. And I tell you now, even with tears, he said, there's a lot of people out there. They walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. All right. So here is, these are bad preachers described. Their end is destruction. This is where they're going. They may look really fancy right now, but they're in this destruction. Number two, their God is their belly. Everything is about money and everything is about what's in it for me. Number three, they glory in their shame. He said, you know, they, they don't see anything wrong with what they're doing. In fact, they brag about what they're doing. And he said, their minds are set on earthly things. Paul said, you know, I'm looking forward to the resurrection of the dead. Okay. Paul said, we're, we're very different in this. Now, look specifically with me at verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. Yes, we are Pinoy, but we're in this world, but not of this world. You and I have to understand that we are aliens and strangers in this world, that our real home is in heaven. We like to sing the song, this world is not our home. Well, this world is not our home. And from it, from heaven, we await a savior, Jesus Christ. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. That's that's a hope we live with every day. And many of us during all of this COVID-19 and the drastic changes geopolitically happening in the world, we wonder, Jesus, is this, is this about the time you're coming? Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. All things are submissive to Jesus. Now, that same great power that he has will in an instant transform this body that Paul says this, this corruptible, this, this tent that we live in is going to instantly be transformed into a body like Jesus, a body that can walk through walls, a body that can still eat because he sat down and had dinner with the apostles after his resurrection, a body that ascended into the heavens. I mean, folks, you have no idea how cool it is going to be for the rest of eternity to have a glorified body. Hair won't fall out. We won't get fat. There's nothing corruptible about it. For the rest of eternity, we will have a body that was built 
for eternity. And that's what Jesus is going to do. Now, chapter 4, I've got the wrong verse typed in here, so let me just read it to you. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, therefore, okay, so there, therefore, because of all of this, because of all these things we've just looked at, because our citizenship is in heaven, because our body is going to be transformed, because we're waiting for a Savior, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, so Paul's heart, he said, I love you and I long for you. Now, that, that's a leader's heart. I love you and I long for you. My joy and my crown. So Paul says, I love you. I long for you. He says, you're my joy. <laughs> I like that. We're, 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 you are a leader's joy. You bring joy to us. And Paul talks in the last chapter of Hebrews about that also. And my crown, okay? So the crown that we receive in heaven Part of the reward that we receive are the lives of the people that we have helped, our crown. And then he says, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He said, my beloved, stand firm in the Lord. In spite of whatever's going on in your life, this is what we've been preaching about for months, stand firm. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Welcome back to Isaiah. Isaiah, Isaiah. We are enjoying ourselves in the book of this Isaiah the prophet, and we are learning so much. 66 chapters corresponding to the roughly to the 66 books in the Bible. We have chapters 1 through 39 corresponding to the Old Testament, chapters 40 through 66 corresponding to the New Testament. The old chapters 1 through 39 full of history, poetry, the oracles against all that, you know, that nation to nation tour that Isaiah did, bringing judgment against all these different nations. And yet always Isaiah's praise moments for our praise moment tonight, Isaiah would say, praise the Lord. And off he would go and he would start singing a beautiful song to the Lord. <laughs> Good for Isaiah. He loved God so much. And then now, after all this study and all this journey, we've come to our last two chapters of the book of Isaiah, chapter 65 and 66. And we'll be wrapping up what is the equivalent of our New Testament section, the comfort, comfort ye my people, says the Lord. And I hope you've learned a lot from Isaiah, the highway, the justice that God desires, the, the social justice, how we treat people matters, the faithfulness of God, trusting in God. Who are you going to trust in? Are you going to be like Shebna or are you going to be like Isaiah? There are so many lessons that we have learned in this book of Isaiah, but we're not done yet because today we have two beautiful chapters to read. Chapter 65. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. <laughs> well, you know, today, I have to say some people follow their own devices. They're just walking around following their phone as they're texting away. That is not, of course, the same meaning of the word device here. It means their own ways, their own thinking, what they want to do. Now, these verses have been quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 10. It's also part of the New Testament teaching. And what do you know about the book of Isaiah? It is the most often quoted in the New Testament except the book of Psalms. It's the only book that is quoted more often. And as always, God is reaching out, reaching out to people, reasoning, reasoning, miracles, signs and wonders, prophetic utterances that by all means, especially in those three ways, Isaiah says God is reaching out to his people. But, of course, we people being people, these people did not always respond to God in the proper way. So verse 3, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places. So these are all things that have to do with idol worship. When they're sacrificing in gardens and on bricks and in tombs, 
in secret places. These, these are all to do with unauthorized worship, worship that is obviously very, very much against what God would want. It has to do with idol worship, who eat pig's flesh, all right? Did you have bacon for breakfast this morning? <laughs> but in the Old Testament, they had this very clear word that they were not to be eating pig's flesh. Now, in the New Testament, Peter saw that basket being, or that cloth being led, uh, let down from heaven, and he, he understood that he was not to call those things unclean anymore. All right. And broth of tainted meat is in their vessels, who say... Keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. <laughs> oh my goodness, people, 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 humans. Have you met someone who was like that? I am holier than you are. I keep the word of God better than you do. I know better. Watch out when people have that attitude. If people come to you or come across to you like they have that holier-than-you attitude, watch out for that because God doesn't like people to feel that way or to have that kind of attitude. In fact, it says, they are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. God gets annoyed, irritated with people who are acting like that. So watch out when people come to you with that superior, spiritual. In fact, if people come to you with a very spiritual spiritual attitude, you know, super spiritual, uh, start backing off from that person because it's a little scary. Because the most upright, righteous, God-fearing people I know are also the most practical, down-to-earth. You can approach them. You can talk to them. Like Jesus, he can be approached all right, so be careful when people start having that I am holier than you attitude. There's smoke in the nostrils of God, just an annoyance, an irritation. Behold, it is written before me. I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their lap both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord. Because they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills. That's that idol worship. I will measure into their lap payment for their former deeds. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there's a blessing in it. So I will do for my servant's sake and not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains, remnant my chosen shall possess it, and my servants shall dwell there. Servants, with an S. This is the servants of God, those who are serving him. Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks, and the valley of Achor a place to, for herds to lie down. For my people who have sought me. All right? So there is a description of the beauty and the blessings that will come for the people who have sought the Lord. Okay, are you seeking the Lord? Are you in your life and in your family? 
Are you putting God first? Are you seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? Are you shunning evil, putting aside evil? You're refusing evil things in your home for my people who sought me. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny. Okay, fortune and destiny were the names of two false gods that were consulted for people to supposedly know the future. And this was not pleasing to God. He said, you have forsaken the Lord. When you start looking to these false things to tell the future, to know. So how do you think God feels about people who consult their horoscope? Hmm? You have to think of that in these terms. People who were consulting fortune and destiny, wanting to know their future. You know, you might think it's just a joke. Why will you joke around with things that are so abominable to the Lord our God? Why will you do things that make him say, why are you forsaking me and running after these false gods? Okay, you're looking after destiny, you're going after destiny. Verse 12, I will destine you to the sword and all of you shall bow to the slaughter because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen, but you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. Oh, in our lives, let us always make choices that are pleasing to the Lord. Amen. Therefore, thus says the Lord. Now, starting in verse 13, going over the next uh, couple of verses, you've got pairs, partners, opposites, that one side is for the servants with an S. That's all of us. Remember in Isaiah, you could have servant being the servant of God, the Messiah. You could have the servant of God being Israel. You could have the servant of God being Cyrus that was called by God to, to fulfill his purpose. So on one side, it's the servant of God. And on the other side, it's those these people that have chosen to do things which God does not find pleasure in. God is not pleased with. Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall grow hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servants shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart and shall wail for breaking of spirit. It matters that you serve the Lord. Amen. You will have a better life for serving the Lord and doing things the right way, following after him. You shall leave your name to my chosen for a curse, and the Lord God will put you to death, but his servants he will call by another name. There's that other name. We talked about that yesterday. So that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. 
verse 17, see how it just leads up to this. Verse 17, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Now we have a description of the millennial period and how fitting in this 66 chapters, 1 through, four, 1 through 39 being equivalent to the Old Testament, 40 through 66 being the equivalent of the New Testament. And in the Old, we had like all the prophecy, the history, the poetry. And in the New, the 40 through 66, we have redemption, Messiah, the comfort, comfort ye my people. Now, how fitting that as we get to the end of these chapters, we're going to talk about the new heavens and the new earth, and we're going to talk about things that are actually quoted now in the book of Revelation. So things that are, see, we're wrapping it up, truly wrapping it up. So that's very fitting, but I need to say this. In Revelation, the new heavens and the new earth follow the millennial period. In Isaiah's writing here, it's all kind of together. And that's because, well, for one thing, a thousand year reign, I mean, that's nothing from his perspective, all those thousands of years before that. But it's because the Old Testament prophets have what we call a mountaintop view. So if there is a mountain and then a valley and then another mountain, another valley, as though they are just seeing across the tops of these mountains, and so what they're seeing, they may not be seeing all the details in the valley between, they may not be seeing that complete picture, but it is kind of blended. There's, it's a mountaintop view. So some of these descriptions, it's millennial, but new heavens and new earth, it's all kind of that mountaintop view, just so we understand that. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall, be, shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old. <laughs> that is millennial times. And, a, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree, so shall the days of my people be. <laughs> Would you like to be as old as a tree? Some of these trees can live very, very very many years, right? I remember when I turned 50, my mother gave me a t-shirt that says, 50 is young if you're a tree. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Yes, but the people in the millennial time, God's people, they're just going to live and live and live. It's going to be like, you know, the book of Genesis where they're 900 years old, 700 years old. Wow. 
And it says, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Well, you know what? That is millennial. But let's claim that word for ourselves today as well, that we shall long enjoy the work of our hands. Why? Because we are his chosen. It says in verse 23, they shall not labor in vain. Now, of course, this is literally talking about laboring to give birth, but still this is quoted in the New Testament. It's yet another of these quotes that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen? You work for God. You labor for God. It will never be in vain. But these people, they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and dust shall be the serpent's food. Now, you have to remember what is the period that we're talking about? Millennial perfection, that thousand-year reign of Jesus where he is king in Jerusalem. He's reigning from there, ruling the earth, and we are serving with him. And I want to be in King David's choir at that point. I want to sing in the, in the presence of the Lord. In that period, it says, before they call, I will answer. Now, sometimes I'm hearing people quote this, before they call, I will answer. Before you even pray, God will answer. Well, you know what? That would be taking this verse, what they call out of context. Because whatever verse you are reading in the scripture, you have to look at the context. So what comes before and what comes after that verse, and then interpret it. One of the rules of interpretation correctly is to look at the context. So when we look at the context, we're going to learn that we're talking about the millennial. Because what is the context? The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. In other words, no predator instinct. There's no more predator instinct in these animals in the millennial period. You can just go up and get your, your hands in the lion's mane and just get your, you know, his fur and pat the lion. Oh, that would be fun. All of that, there's no more predator instinct. That is millennial time. And that is the time frame where it says, before they call, I will answer. So that's the importance of quoting scripture in context. When I was growing up, we had what we called a promise box on our kitchen table. And every night our family would eat dinner together. And in the promise box, there are these little cards. And every card had a scripture. And we would go around in our family and every one of us got to choose a card from the promise box and read the promise, read that verse. And in a way, you have to be careful of the promise box mentality of reading your Bible, because you're taking one out of the context it's written now. Thankfully, my dad would then teach us. He would teach us what that verse meant and how it was set in scripture and how we could live it in our lives. But there is that danger of spot reading, you know, where you just open your Bible. Today, I'm going to read this verse and I'm going to meditate on this verse. No, 
our to get the correct interpretation of scripture, we must always read the verse in context. So they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Now, chapter 66. Thus says the Lord. How many times in the book of Isaiah, thus says the Lord, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. So all these things came to be, declares the Lord. Does this verse, do these verses sound familiar to you? Yes, because they're quoted in Acts chapter 7, verse 49. Who quotes them? Stephen. Stephen is about to be stoned and he is praying this prayer and preaching the, to the people. Stephen quoted these verses in the book of Acts. But what is the place of my rest, my resting place? In 2 Chronicles 6.41, the prayer of Solomon, Arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. God's house, or God's temple, was called his resting place. And that is also repeated in Psalm 132. But in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, do you not know that you are God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in you? So now here's this new and added dimension. I can be God's resting place. He doesn't necessarily just dwell in a building because we make a, a, a structure for him made by human hands. What is that? He, he's the one who made our hands. He's the one who made all these materials. So he's saying he's bigger than that. And yet he does choose to find his resting place in us, which is absolutely remarkable. But this is the one to whom I will look. So who am I looking to? Am I looking to the flashy person who, who wants to do things with their human hands? This is the one to whom I look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. When you hear the word of God and God speaks to you, how, however still and small that voice, and he says, look, this is my word. Don't you want to follow it? When you say, yes, Lord, I do want to follow you. You've got the attention of the Lord at that moment. Now, he who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. Did you know it's hard to believe that people who do wickedly they like it. <laughs> you know, sometimes we just feel like everybody's just like us, but they're not. The wicked, the Bible tells us, actually lay in bed at night, dreaming up ways to be wicked. They enjoy their wickedness. 
their soul delights in their abomination and they have chosen their own way you know that we are not meant to choose our own way here on this life in this world the path we are walking on needs to be the path that god has chosen for us not choosing our own way because we will get lost but when we walk the path that god has chosen for us it will go well with us i will also choose harsh judgment or treatment for them and bring their fears upon them because when i called no one answered when i spoke they did not listen but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which i did not delight we have just read that verse that same verse one chapter earlier chapter 65 verse 12 but it's the same thing that god is saying to his people hear the word of the lord you who tremble at his word your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but it is they who will be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. Now, starting in verse 7. We're talking about Jerusalem. We're talking about Israel. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in a day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Yes, the answer is yes. Shall a nation be born in one day? The answer is yes. And do you know specifically which one day that is? What one day was the nation of Israel born? May, it was the month of May, not May 2020. <laughs> May 14, 1948. A nation born in a day. Israel. There it is. Yesterday it wasn't. Today it is. <laughs> yes, and prophesied so specifically by this prophet Isaiah. Isaiah's prophecies were so specific. Now this is a day that every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ should rejoice in. You should know May 1948. In fact, May 14, 1948. That was the day that a nation was born in a day, and we should rejoice and be glad and be happy about this. For it was the Lord's doing in fulfillment of prophecy, this prophecy. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Do you love Israel? Do you love Jerusalem? You know what the psalm says, and those who love you shall prosper. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, and you shall be carried upon her hip, and bounced upon her knees as one who 
his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. Servants with an S. Remember, in Isaiah, that makes a difference. We're talking about all of us who serve the Lord. And he shall show his indignation to his enemies. I want you to receive that word today, that the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. I want you to receive that and live that word today. The hand of the Lord shall be known to you, the servant of God. Amen. Receive that word today. The hand of the Lord in your family, in your children, in your business shall be known to you. Verse 15, and behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger in fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire, the Lord will enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh. And those slain by the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh and the abomination and mice shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. That's all these people who went to great lengths to serve their idols, idols that did not create them, idols that had not delivered them, idols that did not carry them from the time of their birth until their gray hairs, idols that they had to weary themselves for, and yet they wearied themselves, they wore themselves out following after these idols. They will come to an end together. For God says in verse 18, I know their works and their thoughts. See, God knows not only what we are doing, but what we're thinking. Remember in the New Testament when Jesus would look at them and know what they're thinking, God looks at you and he knows what you are thinking. So he doesn't just know your deeds. He knows what you're thinking. And the time is coming together, all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see, shall see my glory. And I will set a sign among them. And from them, I will send survivors to the nations to sharp Tarshish, Pul, and Lud, and draw the bow to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, declares the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offerings in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. Exciting days coming ahead in the last days. Amen. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord. So shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Now, we have one more verse 
to read. In all of the book of Isaiah, we have one more verse to read, but I want to stop right there and talk about it for a moment. Because if you or I, if we were writing a musical play, a musical drama, would we not want to end it right there with this great finale of glorious worship? All flesh shall come and worship before me, declares the Lord. And there's everybody singing the finale with their arms raised up, worshiping the Lord. That's how we would envision. That's how we would say, oh, Isaiah, yes, end your prophecy like that. End your prophecy with this glorious worship. Let's go out with a beautiful high note. The sopranos singing high and the tenors singing high. Let's end it like that. But there's one more verse. And it says, and they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Eternal punishment of the wicked. If you and I were ending this beautiful book, we might have ended it one verse earlier. But the Holy Spirit inspired Isaiah to lay out one final verse. One reminder, we need to get our, sh- our shoes, the gospel of peace, the readiness of the gospel of peace, our kaliga, we need to get them on. We need to go and preach the good news on the mountaintops, the good news in our offices. We need to preach the good news that salvation is in the name of God, that our Lord is near and all men may hear and be saved. That is the ultimate desire of our Lord, that all may be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, the knowledge of salvation. Amen. Isaiah's name means the Lord saves. Let us get that message into our hearts and bring it to our world, and we can have a tour of our world and the nations, the houses, and the offices around us in our world, and we can proclaim to them that our God has salvation for them in Jesus' name. Oh, it is my pleasure to have been with you through this book of Isaiah. Isaiah, Isaiah. It is beautiful and joyful to read the Word of God together. I hope someday I'll be able to join you for one of the other books. That would also be a great joy for me. It's been wonderful. Thank you for joining us this morning for our morning devotions and praying that we will see you again tonight for our COP online evening service. God bless you.